Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Joe Lumley to my Zach Stefan. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how the devil are you, dear boy? I'm very good. I, I, I did have a bad night's sleep, though. I, I found it incredibly hot, even though it hasn't been incredibly hot. I don't know, it was just like sleeping on lava last night. I don't know if you had the same issue. No, I just kept waking up. Um we are recording this extraordinarily early yeah. this morning. And I think when I know I've got to be up early and I can't afford to miss my alarm, that just makes me wake up every half an hour. Perhaps, yeah. That, that, is, a, that is a common theme. But honestly, it was, it's just incredibly hot. I don't know why. My my body's just on fire. I don't know whether it's this extraordinary tan I've gained from, uh, from holiday, but I'm just it's like sleeping on fire. It's ridiculous. You are still repping the tan. The tan is still going strong, <laughs> it's got to be said. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll stay for another three or four months. So should hopefully go into winter with a bit of a glow and then just in time for next year for another for another holiday. Yeah, just top it up every so often with a bit of fake tan, mate. Uh, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Ladies and gentlemen, on the show today, we're going to be ranking the 24 championship managers heading into next season at the time of recording. And uh, we're going to be ranking them from worst to best in our very own opinions. We're, we're basically ranking them on how happy we would be with them in charge of our club. That was the best way we could define it really as opposed to ranking them on anything else so that's what we're actually ranking them on ignoring the context about the reality of where our club is I should say as well um I've made a list Justin's made a list and we've merged them together into one beautiful specimen which we will now reveal for you very shortly ladies and gentlemen but before we get underway let me tell you listener about our friends at FansBet the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200 terms and restrictions apply full details on site 18 plus please do gamble responsibly Visit BeGambleAware.org for more info and do also check out FansBet Responsible Gambling Tools. One more thing before we begin, Justin, I would urge people not to get too emotional over <laughs> these rankings. It is just a bit of fun. There isn't much else for us to talk about around this time of year, is there? So yeah. we're just doing things like this instead. Having said that, if you do disagree with a particular position we've put a manager, then by all means, please let us know where you think they should be. So we'll begin with number 24, Justin. Who have we got rock bottom? I believe we have Paul Ince. 
we absolutely have. Not a massive surprise by any stretch of the imagination for anyone listening to this. Why have we got Paul Ince 24th, Justin? It is worth mentioning we both had Paul Ince 24th in our rankings. We did, yeah. We don't agree on much, but Paul Ince is one that we did agree on. And I, I do feel a bit guilty because he did guide Reading away from the relegation zone last season. But I think even just some of the things that he was saying... Um, last season, some of the games, there was the, the dropping of John Swift. I know John Swift had pick, picked up injuries, but for me, he's just a bit archaic in his approach. He's a bit old school. He's a bit too old school for a modern for a modern day manager, and that's shown at times. And I think as well, what's really important is um, he's never managed in this situation before. I know he's managed the likes of yeah, the Reading situation. That is, I know he's managed the likes of um, Reading and MK Dons, but he's never actually had a a team in the championship. I know he's managed for Blackpool for a really short period of time, but I think the longest period of time he spent at a football club is a year, 18 months, maybe two years at a push. So he's, he's still relatively experienced in terms of actual the amount of games he's managed at a football club. So yeah, Paul Ince is, is, is the bottom of our list. Yeah, he was an obvious one, wanted to be bottom of the list. Um, and that is mainly because of his record prior to Reading. Um mm-hmm. The, the only spell where he really had any success was MK Dons, um, possibly the Macclesfield one as well, actually, um, although that was so long ago I can barely remember it. But <laughs> his spells since, I mean, Blackburn was an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. Then he went back to MK Dons and didn't have the same success they had prior to that. Notts County, not great, and Blackpool was another disaster. So, and then you consider the fact that he's had an eight-year spell away from management, um doesn't go in his favour at all, really, does no. it? And sure, he did pull Reading away from the relegation battle last season, but he did get only four wins from 14 games, which isn't a great record by any stretch of the imagination, unfortunately, for him. So, yeah, Paul Lintz was an obvious choice at the bottom. Having said that, if Reading do go down this season, then I don't think he can get too much of the blame. I think a lot of the uh, work in that respect has already been done from the past couple of years yeah. and numerous transfer embargoes and where the club is at at the moment so yeah Paul it's bottom of the table for us in 23rd Justin we've got Lee Bowyer I feel a bit bad having Lee <laughs> Bowyer this low on the list because he's been dealt some bad hands in his management career so far hasn't he at Charlton he got a bit stiffed by players refusing to play for them um, post Covid mm-hmm. um, or post initial lockdown, we should say, and then at Birmingham, he has been given such a horrible hand with, you know, players leaving the squad just being as it is. So I don't think he can be particularly blamed for the state of Birmingham City being where they are right now. If you know what I mean? Yeah, completely agree. I I found Lee Bowyer the hardest to place on this list. I don't know about you. I I I, I really struggled to place him because. On one hand, you can say, well, he's actually done a decent job at Birmingham and Charlton under the circumstances he's had. But on the other hand, you can say he has made some he has made some errors, um, especially with, with his tactics, especially at Birmingham City in the last season. Um, but as you mentioned, Charlton, there were a lot of circumstances at Charlton that went against him. Obviously, there was, the, um, there was a takeover that was going through in January that the club were then placed under embargo. They lost Conor Gallagher, who was obviously on absolute star player on loan at Charlton. He then went to Swansea. You mentioned Lyle Taylor refusing to play um, post-lockdown. 
Um, so yeah, there, there was a lot of circumstances working against Charlton that season, but you can argue that he did a pretty good job under those circumstances. Birmingham City, um, he's got a good enough group of players, I think, to be performing better. I think he's made mistakes, which is why I think I've placed him quite low down in my list, and you probably have to, done as well. Um, you know, the likes of Sunjic, Christian Pedersen, these are good championship players who have underperformed terribly under Lee Bowyer. Whether that's Lee Bowyer uh, in his fault or not, I don't know, but that's why he's low down in the list. And it is also worth mentioning it's very unlikely that he'll actually be in charge of Birmingham mm-hmm. heading into the new season. It's just a matter of when this takeover actually gets done. If it keeps being dragged on, then maybe he will still be in charge of Birmingham at the start of the season. Number 22, we've got Shota Arvaladze. The Hull City manager, who we're seeing a bit of a revolution happening at Hull right now, aren't we? With the new owner who's wanted to put down a mark in bringing in some big names. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Ovaladzi got sacked at some points this season because I didn't really see enough from his short spell in charge of Hull last season to indicate this man is a managerial genius. Um, on plenty of occasions, I did not get what the game plan was with Hull. They, Whenever they had the ball, it very often just seemed to end up going straight into the channels. And where they went from there, I'm not really too sure. So I think they were massively helped by the fact that there were four teams who either had points deductions or were very poor last season, or in some occasions both. Um and if, if, if that wasn't the case, then Hall may have been in trouble. But yeah, Arvaladze, I'm not convinced about him heading into the new season, Justin. I I disagree to an extent. I think away games, they looked fine. It was the home games, his home form that was terrible. Um, I I do agree in some sense that should he be the man to lead Hull into this wicked revolution they're going into, I don't know. But as I say... I think the reason why he features so low down in our list, in my opinion, is is because of his his, his ability to get points at home and um, make make the Hulsey Stadium a, a real fortress. Um, and as I say, away games, their form was actually pretty decent. Um, and you do have to give him credit for being able to steer or keep Hull away from a relegation battle amongst those teams because there was a point where they could they could have they could have easily been sucked into it. They weren't. Um, the, the squad was low on numbers up until the Ilikali takeover was, was was ratified and they went on that splurge. But then again, you can argue as well that Arvladi didn't actually get much out of those players that came in in January. So you, then you have to question, can you do the same thing this summer when, when all these new players are likely to come in? Um, so uh, again, it's one of those that it's, 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 it's a difficult one to place, but yeah, the, the ability to get points at home isn't, isn't really good. And you mentioned game plans, you're probably pretty accurate there as well. It'll be interesting to see how well he does with a better squad because I'm assuming Hull will have a much better squad than the one they had last season if they actually get any transfer business over the line. Um, So maybe he'll do better with a better squad. Um, But with the squad they had last season, I didn't really see enough to indicate that this is a man who's the person to be in charge of the Hull revolution, per se. In 21st, Justin, we've got Steve Morrison. Why have we got the Cardiff boss so low on our list? Yeah, I'm going to look forward to this one, Um, uh, or the reaction to it from Cardiff fans, because they're going to say we have something against him, but we don't. It's a very logical decision to play Steve Morrison quite low, and I think it's just the unknown factor for me. 
Um, he doesn't have a look. What he did with Cardiff last season was 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 fine. It was just fine. Um, he steered them away. They shouldn't have been anywhere near the relegation zone anyway with the squad that they had. They should have been competing a lot higher up the table. Everybody knows that they they underperformed dramatically, terribly under Mick McCarthy. Stephen Mustering came in and guided the club to safety. That's what he needed to do. Didn't do it in particularly um, sexy fashion as as much anticipated. But he still got results, and that's absolutely fine. But he doesn't have that crop of players. He doesn't have an experienced crop of players to be able to do that. He's got to revitalise a completely new squad. Um, so, do you want a relatively inexperienced manager at this level to be doing that? Remains to be seen. So, for me, it's just the unknown factor. Um, and with the players that he's brought in, is he going to play that possession style of play that everybody expected him to? Doesn't look like that with the players that he's brought in so far. Well, he steered Cardiff away from the relegation zone, didn't he? But I think a lot of that was down to the business they did in January, bringing in mm-hmm. the likes of Doyle, Drame, um, Hugo to a lesser extent. But these players really revitalised the Cardiff team because prior to that, they were still quite poor and would have probably just cruised into a relegation battle um, had the season gone on and who knows whether they would have stayed up or not but Cardiff fans have been very patient with him which is admirable but I don't think there's been a drastic turnaround in their fortunes admittedly it was very bad under Mick McCarthy and Morrison has done well in that extent of making it slightly better than it was under McCarthy Mm. Um, Cardiff fans will tell you it's some of the best football they've seen in years but when you consider his predecessors I don't think that's too (laughs) difficult and when you actually look at the data it doesn't show a dramatic change in the style of play it's still direct they're still playing a lot of long balls um, but they have to when they've got the the striker options are the likes of Ikpiezu and Hugo from last season Mm -hmm. Um, but he does play young players having said that the squad is looking very young, very inexperienced and not having much quality at the time of recording. Um, so that and the combination of an inexperienced manager in Morrison with still question marks over his head, that's one of the main reasons why I'm quite worried about Cardiff heading into next season. Justin, what were you going to say? I was going to say, do you think things were so bad under Mick McCarthy that Steve Morrison, having done the bare minimum, looks a lot better than it actually was? Yes. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> Straight there you go. that question. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else Easy. I really have to add. <laughs> um, in 20th place, we've got Michael Appleton, Justin. I don't want to spend too much time on this one because it's quite hard to pin down Michael Appleton in this list, isn't it? Because he's someone I have always thought may end up being a very good manager at some point, but his managerial jobs so far have been a bit mixed, haven't they? They have, um, especially at championship level. His short spells at um, Blackburn and Blackpool um, weren't particularly inspiring. He has done good jobs in the lower leagues, that has to be said. His, his, his job at Oxford was, was brilliant and then he took the assistant job at West, at West Brom, which is a bit strange considering the trajectory Oxford are on. But like many managers, I just think Mike Upton, as we've said before, he's just a very safe pair of hands. Will he play the sexiest football? Probably not. Um, but he will get your results. In his results, he's a results type manager. Um, and that's probably something that Blackpool will need this season. He's a good appointment for Blackpool. But would I want him in charge of my club with the options that we have? Uh, that's what it comes down to for me. I wouldn't. 
yeah, I'm not really sure what the expectations are for him at Blackpool next season. Um, and whether he's the long-term choice, who knows? But there's not. I don't really have much else to add on it. My collapse from there. Number 19, we've got Nigel Pearson. This is one manager who we disagreed on quite a lot, Justin. I had him quite low down in my list. You had him fairly, well, higher up than this anyway. Um, what, what, what are you thinking with Nigel Pearson? I, I think Pearson has had to handle a, a, a quite a significant transition and one that I think goes under the radar at Bristol City. Um, they were incredibly inconsistent, as we know, under Lee Johnson. And I think Dean Holden was unfortunate to get the job at the time he did um, because the club were coming t- to an end of a, a, really, a really strange period, I think, where they threw so much money um, at promotion didn't happen and they were left with these overpaid um, players that weren't of the value of their contract shall we say um, and Dean Holden I think was victim of that and Nigel Pearson has got to steer them away from that and he's doing a good job of that um, and now this is the season where we can really start to judge Nigel Pearson because he's got a good squad in his place and and for me Nigel Pearson Derby spell aside I still think he banks he banks quite a lot for me with his spells at Leicester and even Hull. Um, so I, I, I think you do Nigel Pearson a bit of a disservice because his style of play, you look what he got out of that front three last season was good. It's just about sorting other issues. And if he can do that, Bristol City will be a very, very good team next season. I'm really not sure. And you have obviously been optimistic about Bristol City next season. The main reason why I haven't shared that optimism is because of Nigel Pearson. I mean, first of all, he's got a 27% win rate which isn't great. And they'd have been level on points with Derby last season had they not had the points deduction, Um, which is strange when you have got a front three which was as profitable as it was last season. But we all know the defence was just an absolute calamity last season. And you won't really expect that on the Nigel Pearson side, but that's just the way it was. The number of times they dropped points from winning positions was comical. And I think when it happens as often as it did with Bristol City last season. I think the fingers have got to be pointed at the manager in that respect. Um, But plenty of Bristol City fans aren't convinced by him. I don't think I'm going to cause too much outrage by criticising him here because I think the the unsureness, if that's even a word, um, is shared in the Bristol City fan base. There's plenty of occasions last season where supporters were calling for his head. I remember... Mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was. There was one game in particular where the boos after the game yeah. were deafening for um, the, the, the the displeasure the fans were showing at Nigel Pearson. So he's another one I won't be surprised to see sacked at some point this season. I think if Bristol City were to get off to a bad start, I, I could easily see Pearson going after a few months. Um, let's go to, in fact, Justin, what we'll do is we'll group these together because they're all kind of in the same bracket, really. In 18th, we've got Vincent Company. 17th, we've got Michael Beale. And 16th, we've got Jean Dahl Thomason. The reason I'm grouping them together is because they're all unknowns heading mm-hmm. into this season, really, aren't they? Because Company and Thomason have both been, you know, managing abroad. And Michael Beale, we literally know nothing about because he was assistant to Aston Villa and this is his first job in management. But, mm-hmm. um, company, we had bottom of those three because his spell at Anderlecht wasn't incredible. Uh, Thomason, we had top of the list because his spell at Malmo was quite good. So that's why we've got those three together. Justin, anything you want to add on that? No, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. As you say, if, if company did a really, really good job at Anderlecht, 
he wouldn't be in the championship. He wouldn't be managing the championship this season, albeit he is at a relegated Premier League team. Thomason did really good things in Scandinavia, but as as you as we all know, Graham Potter had to go through um, Swansea to get uh, a Premier League job. So it's probably a right of transition to to, to be doing that. And obviously Michael Beale, as you say, we'd know nothing about the style of play. We think will be a high pressing, but. We don't know some things. Sometimes it can go really well, like Steve Cooper. Other times it can go a bit Paul Clement. So it's really difficult to, to put down. But as you say, they're, they are relative unknowns, but they come with a decent enough pedigree to feature fairly well higher in this list than other managers. Yeah, because they're gambles, aren't they? They've got plenty exactly. of potential, all three of them. Um, but who knows how they'll do at the moment. 15th, we've got Michael O'Neill, the Stoke boss. Justin, this was the one we had the biggest disparity over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mainly because you had Michael O'Neill very low in yeah. your list, and you have been ringing the bell for him to leave Stoke for quite some time. Um, I'm guessing that's still the same. I want it. That sounds really harsh. I'm not gunning for this man to be unemployed. Um, that's not what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, so mid-table Michael or lower mid-table Michael, should I say? Um, it's his, his record at Stoke is just not inspiring at all. And I know he's had a, a, a bad hand with, with injuries in the past, but if you look at his time at Stoke City, less than a 40% win rate. Um, he's underachieved with a squad in his in each of his two full seasons in charge. Injuries have hampered his sides, but other managers have been dealt the same cards and achieved more. Luton, Nathan Jones is a really good example. Um so I think with the budget that Stoke have had in recent years and the squad that they've had, finishing 14th in each of those two seasons, I think is sackable, especially when you look at the likes of Gary Rowett and Nathan Jones. I know Nathan Jones less so because his spell was really poor, but especially Gary Rowett, who, yeah, his football was a bit bland, but it was getting results, much better results than Michael O'Neill. They did have a lot of money spent on that Gary Rowett squad, yeah, though, yeah, Justin, it is worth saying. Um, I still stand by that. I think Michael O'Neill was very unfortunate with injuries last season. And unless, well, nothing's going to change my mind on that. The only thing I would say about O'Neill is you look at the past two Stoke managers since they've been in the championship, Rowett and um, Jones. Jones has gone on to better things without a doubt. Rowett arguably has as well. Wouldn't surprise me if O'Neill got sacked and went on to do better things at another club um, just a curse because I wonder if it is just a Stoke curse Justin <laughs> simple as that um, What, why that curse is happening not too sure but uh, yeah it wouldn't surprise me if it, that was the case but I still rate Michael O'Neill as a manager um, because of what he's done in the past and from when Stoke were good Stoke were really good so yeah I, I still got I've still got a lot of faith in Michael O'Neill 14 Justin we've got Rob Edwards another one who I suppose really is a bit of an unknown, really, because of his his career in management has literally been one season. And we have spoken rather negatively about the appointment of Rob Edwards to Watford over the past few months. That's mainly because it's a strange move on their accounts because they don't usually go for young English mm. managers. But I don't think it should be a reflection of Edwards as a manager because in his first full season at this level, he did a fantastic job at Forest Green. It's just a strange move for Watford and I think a strange move for Edwards. I agree. Um, I will point out he's Welsh before some malfoaming fans come and come after you. Apologies, <laughs> um, but I, I do agree. It is a strange move because Watford don't usually go for it. But in that sense, I, I really like it. And, and for Rob Edwards, it's a huge gamble. Um, it really is because if it doesn't go well, there's argument to say that he might not get another opportunity like that again. 
Um, because Watford at Championship level are a big club. They have been a Premier League club for a long time. Um, so yeah, this is a massive gamble. But reading into Rob Edwards a little bit more and, and speaking to some Watford fans, his style of play is is a high-pressing, exciting style of play. High wing-backs, it's attacking. Um, and if he can bring that into Watford with the team that they've got, um, because their team is set up to do that, it, it is really exciting. It's just about getting that balance right and whether or not he can replicate what he did with Forest Green Rovers in the Championship. That is the big question. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add on that front. Um, I, I think he probably will end up being a good manager at some point. I'm just not sure if Watford is the right club. And 13th, Justin, is Liam Richardson, the Wigan boss, who did an amazing job at Wigan last season, didn't he? He's taken them from 20th in League One to the Championship in a season. Um, and I, I think he is, is a manager who I'm quite excited to see how he does in the Championship because of how well he did with Wigan last season. He's mm-hmm. made players who were fairly unconvincing at that kind of level in the past. Will Keane is one in particular who comes to mind and turned them into really good players. So I'm looking forward to seeing him continue the project at Wigan um, and hopefully he um, will have as much success as he has done in League One in the Championship. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that he kept the club up while the club were in administration as well, which I think those heroics get overshadowed by just how good they were last season. They rebuilt a team completely and they've they've gone up um, at the first time of asking, if you like. Um, obviously, coming down, they lost all of their players. Uh, and Richardson kept them up with free transfers, uh, loan signings and, and kids. Um, so if any club wants to follow a sort of a, a, a blueprint as to how you do that, you know, Liam Richardson's t- sides were well-structured, well-disciplined, um, good runners, hard-working, um, mixed with a little bit of quality. That is a very good blend to get out of League One. And I think that is perfect blueprint to win promotion from League One. I think Richard Richardson hit the hit the nail on the head perfectly last season. I think that that brings him quite high up in this list. Mm. It'll be very interesting to see how he does in the championship with a squad that has just come up from League One and at the time of recording hasn't had much added to it. Um but he's done such an incredible job so far that it won't surprise me if he did manage to keep Wigan up just with the squad that he's got already. Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the top 12 managers in our list. To the second tier podcast, so we're ranking the championship managers at the time of recording from 24 to first, and we are now at number 12. And at number 12, we have got Gary Rowett from Millwall. Justin, why have we got Gaza mid-table in our list? I suppose it's quite fitting of uh, Gary Rowett to be mid-table in this list. Um, I think what he's done with Millwall, he's he's overachieved in some senses. Um, I do think Millwall. I do think he should be. Um, I do think he should be making more of a go of it to get into the playoffs, which is probably what does him a bit of a disservice on this list. But actually, what he's what he has achieved has been really, really good, um, and it shows you what he can do on a smaller budget. Because I think he underachieved um, in some essences at Derby. Definitely underachieved. Well, he should have been competing a lot higher in the table with Stoke um, when he got the job before he got sacked. And then obviously there was the Birmingham City spell where he, where he performed miracles at times. Um, so yeah, 
it's a really it's a really mixed bag with Gary Rowett. Two really good jobs, two one one okay job, one not so good job. Um football can be boring at times, but he gets he gets results ta- and he's ta- ta- uh, tactically he's one of the better managers in this league as well. Yeah, I th- I th- when we talk about we were talking about the likes of Tony Mowbray and Mark Warburton last season, managers who I think have somewhat of a glass ceiling. Um, I don't really see a glass ceiling with Gary Rowett. I think he is capable of getting a team promoted. It's just, it would will, it will, it will have to take a massive effort for that to actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, considering Mill's transfer business this summer so far, they look like they could be having a good crack at it mm-hmm. this season. And I think Rowett is a good enough manager to make the most of the team that he's got. Um, I, I think he's at the perfect club for him right now, where there isn't a massive amount of pressure for success. Um, and he's got the tools to just take his time and just go through uh, the movements, if you will. So, yeah, I, I think he's at the club that's perfect for Gary Rowett right now. Um, and in time he will probably be looked back on as a success at Mill, whether they get into the top six or not. But I think they've got every chance of getting into the top six this season, possibly even their best chance that they've had since they've been in the championship. At 11th, Justin, we've got Ryan Lowe, a manager who I think is a lot of potential at this level. We didn't really see enough from Preston last season to indicate that this is the start of the Ryan Lowe revolution at Deepdale. Mm. But with the job that he did at Plymouth and Bury, prior to him getting the Preston job, um, I have plenty of optimism about the future at Preston. I think it just could take a bit of time before we start to see them reaping the rewards of the appointment. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Ryan Lowe as a manager and a coach intrigues me so much because if you look back on his uh, on his record, he's, he's, he's met expectation with every club he's been at so far, obviously promotion with Berry, um, promotion with Plymouth, consolidation, and then competing to get into the playoffs last season. He's done a really, really good job, uh, really, really good job so far in his career. So what he can do with with Preston, will he meet expectation, compete maybe to get into the playoffs or top half, or will he exceed that? That's 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 the the, the challenge for this season. But what he's done in a short period of time for Preston has been a nice transition from the um, Alex Neal era because he's got Preston playing on a, on a front foot and that's that's a really good place to be because I don't think Preston have played that way for a long time and that's that's a place they need to play at. It's just whether or not he gets the backing he needs to, to change the squad in his way uh, and if he does, Preston can go very far on him. Number 10, we've got Steve Bruce from West Brom. Um... <laughs> I sense we were both a bit afraid of having Brucey any lower in this list, Justin, mm-hmm. because there's a good chance he could be leading a team into the Premier League this season. As I was saying in Sunday's episode, for me, West Brom will, without a doubt, have the best starting eleven on paper heading into the new season. It's all just a matter of whether Steve Bruce can make the most of it. And I don't have complete confidence that he'll get them promoted, but he's obviously very capable of doing it because it's Steve Bruce. He's done it on plenty of occasions before. I think he's a great manager to have if you're a top half championship side with moderate expectations. When you're a side like West Brom, expecting to get promoted, I'm, I think there are better options out there than Steve Bruce. Having said that, I think he gets a bit of a bad rap because I think he is a good manager, a very good manager, in fact, at this level. And he, he is a bit of a comedy figure online for memes and what have you on Twitter, but... 
when you look at what he's actually accomplished in his career, I think he's done well. And I think even at Newcastle last season, he did all he did all right in the circumstances. It just wasn't obviously a job that was longing for him. Yeah, it, look, he's been very unfortunate, I think. <laughs> and you are you're absolutely right. It was it was it couldn't really place him any lower, but. I didn't really want to place him any higher because there are more, there are managers I'd rather have at my club um, than than Steve Bruce, and he's he's probably there because of his credentials. But he, you know, he underachieved so much with Aston Villa, Newcastle United. Did he meet expectation or did he exceed it? Newcastle fans will tell you different because they think they should be in the top four. They shouldn't be. I think they were where they were that season because that's where they were. That's where they are, and now they've got all this money, they can do what they want. Um, but yeah, Steve Bruce is probably victim of some of the things that happened to him in, in, in the past. The cabbage situation is not ideal either, which probably makes him more of a bit of a joke figure. But alas, here we are. He is a good manager at championship level. He does get teams promoted. It could rival Neil Warnock in that sense as well. So we'll just have to see how this season goes for West Brom because he could solidify himself as a championship legend if he deliver, delivers promotion for them. Yeah, the season could go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll leave that there. Number nine, we've got Paul Warren. This was one who we had a minor disagreement, Justin. We've disagreed on more managers in this list than others. But Paul Warren, you had quite high in your list. Um, I had him slightly lower. Why did you have Paul Warren so high? What's not to like about Paul Warren? Come on. I think He's... one thing that you could say is his inability to keep Rotherham in the championship. <laughs> okay, that, that goes against him. But I don't think that's just a Paul Warren thing. I think that Rotherham, probably when they when they do get promoted to the championship, they don't necessarily make a go of it, shall we say. Um, but for me, Paul Warren is, is one of those managers who I think has been unfortunate not to be linked with more jobs that have come up in the championship because... He's a very good manager. The style of play at Rotherham is actually quite attractive considering their budget and considering their their stereotype. Um, uh, so for me, I think Paul Warren should should rightly feature high in this list. Um, he's honest in his post-match interviews. He's a brilliant guy in the press. Um, his man management is fantastic. And as I say, the style of play under him at Rotherham has actually been on the front foot. It has been exciting. Um, and it has been sort of getting in your face, which is what your team's... It's just you know, it's how your team should play. So for me, Paul Warren, quite rightly, features Heinz list. I like him a lot, and I think he should get linked to more jobs because I think he's a really good guy as well. You say why isn't he be linked with more jobs? I think the main reason for that is just because of his record at Championship level, because he's had two full seasons to keep Rotherham up and has failed on both occasions. And if I'm being extremely harsh, you could say that other managers have had similar budgets to what he's had and managed to keep teams in the championship. Of course, Rotherham and other club that are never going to have a big budget. They're not going to go out there and spend shed loads on different players and wages and what have you. And they are punching above their weight at this level. Um, but the fact that they every time they come up to the championship, they instantly get relegated is concerning. Having said that, I do share a lot of the um, optimism you have about Paul Warren. I think it would be very interesting to see how he did at a club with me more resources. Um, if he was at a Birmingham City, for example, how would he do that? I think that would be really interesting to see. Um, I don't think he wants to take that job at the moment because I'm not sure anyone wants to take that job at the moment. But um, it, it would be interesting to see how he did at a not a bigger club, but a club that has more 
um, room for manoeuvre in uh, the transfer window. So, yeah, Paul Warren, I do think, is a good manager. Will Rotherham stay up this season? Who knows? I'm I'm not got great hopes in that respect just because it is Rotherham and recent history has shown us they don't have a great record at staying up. So, yeah, we're very interested to see how he does, but I do think Paul Warren is a, a good manager. Number eight, we have Alex Neal, Justin. This was the one we had the second biggest disparity over. You, well, I rate Alex Neal highly. I think he's a good championship manager. But judging from your list, Justin, you really rate Alex Neal. Yeah, I, I, I think he's one of the best managers in the league. I'll be honest with you. I think he's, I think he's a brilliant manager, and um, I think his spell with Preston just grew a bit stale. I think there was a period at that club where they should have really backed him because they were on the doorstep of of, of the playoffs. They were on the precipice, uh, potentially a promotion, um, and he's he's a very good manager. And now he's at a very big football club in Sunderland. Um, where expectation is quite high, and he met expectation last season emphatically. I think he only lost two games in his spell, which is absolutely outrageous, considering he took over from Lee Johnson. And we all know, with Dean Holden and Nigel Pearson, how hard it is to follow Lee Johnson because of the mess he leaves his teams, to be quite blunt. Um, so credit to Alex Neal to, to make, for making that team so solid. Um, and uh, as I say, his Preston spell was largely very, very good. Um, and he achieved promotion with Norwich when uh, they they were very inconsistent, um, and he's still quite young as well, which which I think time time's on his side. And as I say, he's got the job that he deserves because Sunderland are a big football club with big big expectation and potentially a, a decent budget this season as well. Yeah, but I don't think there are too many managers in England who have had good spells at three different clubs, mm-hmm. and he has had three good spells at his last three clubs Norwich got them promoted when they were in the middle of nowhere by the time he got appointed Preston took them to the edge of the playoffs on a very modest budget Preston fans will have mixed opinions on him but having said that he didn't really have the resources to get them over give them that little push into the top six and then Sunderland have been in league one for so long that um (laughs) Anyone who actually got them to the championship, you've got to take your hat off to them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Alex Neal is a manager I really, really rate. Not as highly as you, Justin, um, but I think he is a very underrated manager at this level. And um, people may turn their nose up at him, but you look at the jobs he's done at all his clubs so far, it's got to be respected. So, yeah, I think um, he's the right man to lead Sunderland into this championship season. And um, it'll be interesting to see how they do this season um, if they are a bit more active in the transfer window, then they could accomplish quite impressive things this season, mm-hmm. but they haven't been that active so far. Um, hopefully that does change in the coming weeks. Number seven, we've got Paul Heckingbottom, another one who I think may be quite underrated by other people who may do a similar list to us, Justin. He did such a fantastic job of Sheffield United, didn't he, last season, taking yeah. over from Jukanovic when Sheffield United were just kind of in the middle of nowhere where it really weren't they uh, but Heckingbottom turned them into this different animal sure they didn't get promoted but he got the best out of the players like Morgan Gibbs White um, Billy Sharp so many players at, at the club who um, weren't really pulling up trees under Ekanovic prior to that so yeah Heckingbottom is a, a manager who I'm quite optimistic about um, being in charge of Sheffield United next season yeah, I like Hacking Bottom because he tells it how it is. Um, he, you know, he came in last season, as you say, and 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 just play players where they should be played. He played a style of play that he felt the team 
needed to play. Um, and absolutely, absolutely right. Jukanovic didn't get the backing he needed to turn the team into his sort of his sort of team, and that showed. Obviously, that as you said, the team were on course to finish lower mid table. Um, it was going to be horrendous. So for him to deliver a playoff finish, absolutely fantastic. And then you look at the players that have passed through his coaching before, especially when he's at Barnsley, the likes of Conor Hurahan, Alfie Mawson, Ivan Tony, Ashley Fletcher. He made Barnsley a lot of money. Um, yeah, Mark Roberts, Adam Armstrong, they've all passed through his coaching. And I think, you know, you look at Mog Gibbs-White, the, the levels he hit last season. He's a very good coach um, and he deserves a chance at a club like Sheffield United where he's got some budget and um, the expectation to to push higher because, as I say, he's a talented coach and he deserves he deserves that chance. Spot on. Number six, we've got Russell Martin, the Swansea Boston manager, who I think has got all the potential in a world in the world as a manager. Um, it's just about him actually proving it on the pitch because Swansea last season they were a bit hit and miss, weren't they? Um, but he's certainly got the style of play which I would love to see as a fan, and um, considering this list is based on. Yeah. Um, managers we'd like to see at our club um, so style of play massive tick it's just about actually getting results but I'm as I've said plenty of times in the past couple of weeks I'm quite optimistic about Swansea heading into the next season and a lot of that is down to the fact they have got Russell Martin as a manager yep yeah, spot on Michael Abafemi, um Joel Pirro the amount of goals that they scored in the second half of the last season was 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 fantastic and that's Partly, but mostly down to the style of play and putting them in those sorts of positions. Flynn Downs took his game to a a really interesting level. Um, I think he's going to play is going to get even better. And obviously, there's there's Matt Grimes, but yeah, Flynn Downs is it was superb. Um, and Jamie Patterson, he got a tune out of Jamie Patterson. Um, Jamie Patterson hit new levels of creativity. Um, and as you say, his style of play is exciting. It does have holes in it, but. He could, he's, you know, he's young enough and and and, and smart enough as he's shown um, in in his spells so far to um, to override them and get past them. Yeah, I think we'll uh, leave that one there because he's he's one who's got a lot of hype around him as a manager. Um, but as I say, it's just about actually proving it on the pitch. Number five, we've got Dean Smith, someone I would be quite excited about having in charge of my club. Having said that, Justin. <laughs> how good a manager is Dean Smith I'm not completely sure um, because of what I've said in previous episodes you look at his spells at Aston Villa he got them promoted from the championship but they had a very good squad um, and it would have been a failure for them not to get promoted quite frankly in the Premier League they diced with relegation in the first season after spending a lot of money and then they he obviously got sacked after Villa spent a lot of money again. But at various periods, um, I did look at Villa and think, OK, Dean Smith is doing a really, really good job there. I'm just not sure how good a manager he is, considering the resources he's had in the past. And obviously, didn't really pull up. He, he didn't really do much to change Norwich's fortunes in the Premier League last season either. So... So many question marks over how good Dean Smith actually is as a manager. And I think this season will be the one where we have a few more answers. But I think as far as youngish English managers go, he is up there at the time of recording. I, I like Dean Smith. Um, I, I'm trying to judge him mostly on his Brentford spell because as you say, Villa... Just the resources they had was just ridiculous at championship level. Um, anything but promotion was, was failure. Anything but... Well, to be honest, anything but automatics was failure, but that's not particularly his fault. Um, 
but yeah, his, his Brentford spell. Um, you look at again the, the players that came through his door while they made Brentford a lot of money, played exciting football, chaos at times, but not necessarily all, all down to him. You know, team structure is a, it was a problem at, at times as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the football he played at, Bright, at Brentford was 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 incredible, um, and he deserves his chance at Villa. And now he's got a, a team with Norwich that he can model on it. He can model his style of play on uh, within that team. And trying to limit promotion, and and this is a season where you can really judge Dean Smith a bit like a, quite a few managers in the league this season. Yeah, spot on. Number four, we've got Carlos Corbran, a manager who I remember very well as the one we had second in our manager of the season awards in the second tier awards. Justin, mm-hmm. um, I was surprised we didn't have him slightly higher, but I suppose the reason for that was because of what he did at Huddersfield in his first spell, where uh, it was certainly hit and miss, wasn't it? But without a doubt, last season, he was one of the best managers in the league. The job he did with Huddersfield, taking them from edge of the relegation battle the season before to playoff final um, and to a couple of dodgy penalty decisions away from getting Huddersfield to the Premier League. Um, yeah, Huddersfield have got themselves a top manager in Carlos Corbran, haven't they? They have um, the potential. I think Carlos Corbran got uh, has as a um, as a top level coach. I think is very very high. Obviously, he's a, he's a Marcelo Bielsa disciple. You know, if you've played playoff bingo, you would have heard that line quite a few times um, during the, their playoff campaign. Uh, but I think that that lends to his his, his abilities and and their style of play. But it's not all high pressing and. Um, and and front foot it is it is disciplined structured football at times they needed to do that after their defensive woes in his first season because they were damn right terrible defensively if there was another four or five games in the season they would have been relegated um, so for him to change that and make them to one of the best defensive teams in the league last season with a modest budget again barely any budget you'd argue I think is incredible and that's why he's so high in the list and I don't think that's any surprise to anyone no Absolutely not. Number three, Justin, we've got Coventry boss Mark Robbins, someone who I can sense in your little mind is only going higher and higher in your rankings as his career goes on. The thing is, has he done a bad job at anywhere he's been? Um, I was, yeah, no, no disrespect to Coventry, but he took over them when they were in League Two. Um, and he should have been getting a decent job. He did a, a fairly good job at Barnsley, um, did a good job at Rotherham as well. Um, so for him to be in that category of a lower league manager, I think it was quite unfair to him at the time. But that's Coventry's gain, and now he's, for me, he's one of the high, highly rated coaches in the Championship. Um, he adapted his team really, really well when they first came into the Championship, um, and their their form was actually pretty decent throughout the season. I don't think they were in too much danger of going down. Then we predicted them to go down, and they they became one of the. The, the best teams in the league. You know, the, the points they took of Fulham and how they played against Fulham, I think, shows. He, he deployed a young team that were not scared of anything with, with, with little bits of experience. Um, his coaching is brilliant. His, his ability to improve players, make them better, is is, is there to be seen. Victor Gourkres is a, is a really good example. Even experienced players like Jamie Allen, Kyle McFadden have enjoyed their best seasons, I think, at this level. Um, and that, that deserves a lot of recognition. Yeah, they're treading a similar path to what Luton have done, really, haven't they? And I've said that so many times, but it's true. And if 
Luton's last season is anything to go by, though Coventry are going to have a very exciting season this season. Um, having said that, I don't think the expectation should be for Coventry to get into the top six, but it won't surprise me just because Mark Robbins has outdone expectations on so many occasions in his time at Coventry that they could definitely do it because he gets players playing above the level they're at before and then gets them going even further again. So yeah, th- this is a very exciting time to be a Coventry fan with Robbins at the helm. And as long as that continues, then they're only going to keep reaching new heights. Um, and that brings me very nicely onto number two, which is Luton boss Nathan Jones. Not a surprise at all, really, is it, for him to be this high in the list just because of the astounding job he has done in the time that he has been at Luton, um, taking them from League Two uh, to the playoff semi-finals, of course, with a little absence in between. But without a doubt, Nathan Jones and Luton Town just works so well, doesn't it? And they're only going to keep getting higher and higher under his leadership because, as we've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast, Justin, they have gone up each season that he's been in charge, apart from maybe one season. Mm. Um and considering they finished, what was it, fifth last season? Um, that's exciting and makes you wonder where Luton could go this season. The only thing is, if we're judging him on whether or not we want him in charge of I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> can he do it at another club? Now, he's shown that's us it. that he can't. That's it. That, you know, that's something that will work against him. Probably he might, he might even feature a bit too high in this list. Who knows? Not for us, well, for us to judge because we're judging him. But on, his, on what he's achieved with Luton... Unbelievable, uh, and actually, what he did with Stoke, they underperformed data. While uh, they underperformed, yeah, if you consider their data, and Nathan Jones will certainly use that as an excuse. Um, they should have been competing a lot higher in the table, but he can manage on a budget, and it's not that's without making the football boring and bland. You know, it is good football at, at Kenilworth Road. Um, he's, he's he's passionate. He's chest pumping. He's he's knee sliding. He's. Uh, He's, yeah, he's, he's a good guy, I think. I like him a lot. Um, and I think if he manages any team in the league, every single one of the, every single set of those fans are going to absolutely love him. If we're judging it on how much we want him at our club, then I think just seeing him on the touchline and just watching his antics every game would be <laughs> worthy of him being second on the list by itself because the man is just comedy gold on the sideline. But in terms of what he's done at Luton, without a doubt... He's pulled off miracles, but as you say, considering he didn't have a great time at Stoke, how would he do at another club? Luton and Nathan Jones clicks together um, at another club where he isn't the man who's in charge of but seemingly everything, then uh, he may not enjoy the same success. And then number one, Justin is, of course, Middlesbrough's Chris Wilder. Why have we got Mr Wilder as top of our list? Why Why have we got Chris Wilder top of this list? Who knows? It's a mystery to everybody. Um, it goes without saying, doesn't it? He's, he's, he's the manager that every single fan in this league will want at the helm. Um, and, and Borough are very lucky to have him. It was a perfect time for Middlesbrough and it almost, it almost felt like they sacked Neil Warnock to get Chris Wilder. That's what it felt like last season. But fair enough, because when, when someone like Chris Wilder is available and your team's not performing as it should be, you do everything you can to go and get him. And it's quite, I think, quite scary as to think how how far he could take the Middlesbrough. I think he could take them very far, um, very, very far. And I'm talking on the precipice of European football in years to come. 
if he has the opportunity to do it because I think he's that good of a manager. I think Middlesbrough, well backed by Steve Gibson, um, and he could easily solidify them in the Premier League if if he can get them up, if he can get them up there. So that remains to be seen, but it looks like they've got the backing to do it. I'm really excited by Wilder and Borough. Really, really excited. I'm really, really excited as well. And you look at Chris Wilder's managerial career. He's had quite a long managerial career at this point, and he's only had two seasons off the top of my head where he's taken a club backwards compared to the season before. One of them was Sheffield United in his final season there, and that was mainly because of falling outs, fallings out with mm-hmm. uh, the hierarchy there. Um but when you consider what he did with Sheffield United, getting them so high in the Premier League on their budget, wow, that's why this guy is so highly rated. And um, if, if if he was a bit more fashionable, then he probably would have a better shout of being the next England manager. Because in terms <laughs> of his tactics and his accomplishments in his career so far, he ticks all the right boxes, but people may turn their noses up at him, which I think is a bit unfair, really. But without a doubt... He is, for me, the best manager in the division. When I made this list, I put him top straight away. Yeah, yeah. just because it is Chris Wilder. And Middlesbrough have got themselves a very, very exciting time ahead with him in charge. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. We've ranked all 24 managers from 24 to 1. If you disagree with us, then by all means, please let us know. If you are going to throw abuse our way, though, don't bother. We've been used to be calling a virgin for the past three years now. Um, so <laughs> this has been the Second Tier Podcast. As always, thank you for your continued support. We bloody love each and every one of you, especially those who listen to us week in, week out, even when there is no football on. We try to give something back to you as well by giving you a weekly podcast because Lord knows I'm going through my podcast feed when I'm in the car at the moment, Justin, and it's pretty bare considering <laughs> all I do is subscribe to football podcasts. So we like we like to think we're at least providing you with some sort of content over the summer when others aren't. Um, but we'll be back again on Sunday to give you a news roundup of everything going on in the championship. Plenty of transfer business cracking off as we speak. So we'll go through each and every bit of that. And we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. Abba just peach. And thank you for listening.